We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And we're going to take a little pause from we've been reviewing this upcoming roster to go back in time a little bit. The Lakers launched, uh, we launched our Lakers 75 campaign to start the, the month. And over the course of the season, we're going to be celebrating 75 years of Lakers history. And in doing that, big portion of my job with the team over the summer has been to go back in time and like make mixes. I made one on Shaq's dunks. Uh, there's one on, uh, I just finished one on Van Exel that I'm really excited about. Right. And so it's, it's amazing going back and watching all of the tape on this guys. And so I was requesting footage for a Lamar Odom video. I'm gonna make a Lamar been a minute since we gave Lamar some love. I wanted to make sure that happened. And in watching that, a big part of that is just going through the archives and being like, okay, I want to include that. The focus of the video is like on his ball handling ability, right? And so I'm screening thousands of clips over that time. And it's such a blessing to be able to do that. That's my work day, right? Is to watch like 2009 Lakers basketball. And in doing so, that was right before I got my high school coaching job. And so looking back on this footage through a different lens all of these years later, I was astonished by how skilled they were. And like I knew that in my mind conceptually, but actually watching the tape and going back on it, all of the beautiful high-low action, just that the combined skill level between them was just off the charts. And it was I, I always think of basketball. Basketball kind of has this balletic quality to it. And watching them, they really exemplified that. And Mike, I would have given anything to be up close and personal to watch those years. And you were. So I would love to hear your memories and just in this pod to just kind of wax poetic about the Kobe, Powell, and Lamar trio. Talk about being dropped in on a little piece of basketball heaven, right? We We know the story. I came from the... 20-ish win Timberwolves and got dropped right onto the October 2008 Laker team that was just seething mad after a summer of hearing everybody talk about how much better Boston was and, you know, are the Celtics going to repeat? Is LeBron James going to win? And, you know, meanwhile, 
uh, they get Andrew Bynum and Trevor Reza back. And I think that I want to actually start with Lamar for a second, because Kobe and Powell, and particularly Kobe, we've not just us, but everybody has kind of talked about that run with those two and how great they were. And, and every year, I think we get a little bit more, we lose a little bit more about what Lamar Odom contributed and why what he did was so special for that team. And to try and draw a more recent comparison in some ways. So those teams always started big with Bynum. And of course they were supersized with Pau Gasol at the four, but they had, they had unlocked this ability to change shapes and to change the way that they attack teams when Lamar would come in off the bench, typically for Bynum. And then that would sometimes it could, there could be a couple of other substitutions within that, but basically you move Powell to the center. And it, so at that position now, you are extremely skilled, right? Uh, Powell, we all know all the different things that Powell could do. And and then you had Lamar, who also could function as a point guard uh, with the way that he played. And then you had Kobe as your sort of scoring assassin. So in terms of size and versatility, a little bit similar to like the AD LeBron and then like whoever, whoever else that they had in the backcourt. But you had that team, of course, with LeBron and AD never had the type of guard that could come in uh, anywhere near the, the level of skill that Kobe had. And, and so it was just such a, it was such a problem basically for teams to deal with. They, there were just, there were very few ways that you could control them and they could still be huge on defense, even while being quote unquote, a little bit smaller um, on the offensive end. And that sounds silly to say Pete and Darius, because how is, is a now, right? A absolutely classic, huge NBA center. But mm-hmm. so it was just such a unique balance that they had. And I, I don't think that at the time we were still trying to understand all of the analytics and all of the film. There weren't as many people that were up on it. There, there definitely weren't all of the Twitter coaches. Right. And it, it, Twitter had just Twitter had not even started at the start of that season. It started at the end of that season. You know what there was, though, Mike, was formblueandgold.com. And Darius was covering that team on a daily basis, being that guy. You were the one place, man, where we could get that kind of breakdown back in the day. Yeah. Uh, let, me, let me speak on that because I, I to, I've told you guys this before. When I got to the L.A., I started asking around, all right, who are the smart people that cover the team? And we had clips at the time. So I read all of the beat writers and all the columnists, anybody that was major. And maybe the only person – that, that I you know had never heard of and didn't know what the site was. And I didn't even know the story of Forum Blue and Gold, but somebody with Ty Nowell, uh, the, the OG, the legend was like, he's like, Hey, you should check this out. So I started to read and I was like, I was like, damn, how does this guy know this much? You know, it was like, I was talking to one of the Lakers assistant coaches with all the breakdowns. So that's true. But even then though, that was like a slow trickle for me to kind of, re- and when was it coming in and you got to go to the website, you know? So I, I'm, I'm glad Pete that you brought that into it, but the reason that I that, that I brought it up is that they were executing some basketball things. I think that that would have been very much appreciated in the modern day um, more mm-hmm. than they even were at the time. At the time, it was just like, oh, the Lakers won again, you know. And yeah, Lamar came in off the bench and he was good. But so let me let me kick it uh, to either one of you there. But I just that was one of the first things I noticed was like how good this team was, and, and we were still trying to we were still as an NBA community trying to understand the way that they were playing and why it was effective. The thing about Lamar that always sort of just gets forgotten is that he was one of the key players as part of the Shaq trade, right? And he was a starter 
And fans had this love-hate relationship with Lamar before the Lakers actually rose to prominence. And Lamar was actually the guy who was on the trading block first before there was a ship his ass out with Andrew Bynum stuff and get me Jason Kidd and all of this other stuff. It was Lamar. It was Lamar who might get traded for Jermaine O'Neal. And it was all of this stuff because Lamar was miscast as the second banana. Jermaine (laughs) O'Neal. He had all the talent in the world, out of Rhode Island, played for the Clippers, and then went to the Heat, had that really good year with with the Heat, and then suddenly Shaq becomes available, pay me Dr. Buss, right? And Dr. Buss is just like, yeah, we're trading you. Goes to Miami, and Lamar Odom and Karan Butler, and then obviously the Karan trade that brought back Kwame Brown, right? And so if it was Butler and Kobe, and then Lamar is sort of the third piece. That would have been an interesting thing if that group would have had a chance to grow. But they did not. And so Lamar Odom is one of the first players who got me to think about slotting. The idea that we talk about a lot on the pod. Because it was pretty clear that Lamar and all of his beautiful skill set was miscast as being Kobe's quote-unquote number two, the guy who was going to fill the role ultimately that Pau Gasol filled and that to a certain degree, even Andrew Bynum filled before the Lakers got Pau Gasol and before Bynum suffered that first knee injury. And, And so I remember when Bynum actually came into his own and then the Lakers got Gasol and then Bynum came back, it was oh man, Lamar, you're going to have to come off the bench. And I remember that being one of the first like new tension points within the roster. It's just like, well, how is Lamar going to accept that? And so I just want to kick that point back to you guys because the Lamar Odom origin story of what the Lakers would become, the idea of all the versatility, Mike, and that change up from starting big to then being still this really big team, but way more skilled and multifaceted and ability to play faster. Like I want to get back into Lamar's skill set in in a second, but it was that first adaptation that Lamar brought to it where I think that's the crucial part, that buy-in that he ultimately provided and that he was able to sort of fall into and get comfortable. That was what I think allowed the team to really be what they were. Very much so. And I think that he's significant through the NBA story in that he's part of the transition to the stretch four. When he came into the league, he was, I I remember him at Rhode Island. He played for Jim Herrick, who was the UCLA coach, won the championship with the O'Bannon teams. And Odom was this like six, nine ball handler. The magic Johnson comparisons were all over the place. Lefty really slick, had that New York like ball handler style of play. And, but I also remember the Odom wars. There was this, Hundreds of pages long thread on LakersGround.net back in the day where we used to all argue about I was very pro Lamar, right? But like you said, D, he was one of those guys that especially his offensive production as a scorer could come and go. And so Kobe would be averaging 35 a night and he'd have these big games and Lamar, our, our supposed number two, yeah. would have a 6.8 rebound night. And We'd lose the game and people would be furious, you know, trade him. And the the Jermaine O'Neal stuff, I was cracking up about that. There were a bunch of rumors during that period of time. 
And then we do trade for Powell. And not only does Lamar go into that more appropriate slotting of being a third option, but he also has to come off of the bench. I remember at the time being excited about the possibility of going really big and starting Lamar at the three with Powell at the four and Bynum at the five. So was Kurt Rambis. Yeah, right. <laughs> and the thing was is that Odom had been a small forward for a decent portion of his career up until that point. And so the fact that Phil – and this has always cracked me up about Phil because remember his it's, how's yeah. it going thing with uh, the – you know, with the playoffs in terms of shooting threes. He's kind of perceived as this anti – movement toward the three-point line figures. I would argue that there are few coaches in NBA history that have had a bigger impact on the league going a little bit smaller than Phil Jackson. You had Tony Kukoc with the Bulls. You had Robert Ori with the Lakers. Ori was a small forward to start out his career. And then you had Lamar and his usage of Lamar. And he never went to that big starting lineup. And he was correct. He had the correct big man. When you had 96 minutes at the four, at the four uh, in the playoffs of Lamar Odom, Pau Gasol, and Andrew Bynum, very difficult to beat. You had a quality front court all the, the, the entire game. But Lamar's ball handling ability at his size, when you talk about, Mike, that like what made them so beautiful, that's one of the first things that stands out to me is the way that Lamar and Powell could handle the ball and, and pass it. And Lamar in particular was such a great generalist. He was a really good defensive player, really good rebounder. There are elements of his game that you don't think of him as a tough guy necessarily, but those little in-between parts, he got slotted appropriately because he was pretty good at about every element of basketball, just not great at anything that could make him like a reliable number two scorer. And so that to me is what stands out to your question, Mike, of like what made that team so beautiful to watch the ability of the big guys in particular to handle the ball. To stay on Lamar for a little bit about that. It, there was a, it was a quote that I think I asked him something about. He had been banging down low with a couple of bigs on switches and then, you know, going down the other end and handling the ball. And, and I asked him about his, the strength that he had to have. And he said something like, you know, hey, Mike, uh, I'm not the strongest guy in the NBA, but I'm far from the weakest. Know what I mean? And he always would. <laughs> the, you know what I mean? was one of his ways of both softening his stance. And it's also kind of a, a quick window into his personality. And so this kind of gets to what Darius was saying about Lamar and the expectation about what he was because of his skill and the personality that he had. And I was... I was reading through a little bit of this story the other day, which in which in hindsight is it's sad in a lot of ways. But it was about Lamar at basically the apex and personally and professionally. And this was after the back to back championships. Um, remember that he was on the, the FIBA World Championship gold medal team uh, that he played terrific on. And he had just married Khloe Kardashian. She had at the time she really stabilized him and Lamar. So the opening paragraph of this is the uh, let me read it real quick. The common criticisms of Lamar Odom's game throughout his 12 year NBA career have centered upon a lack of Kobe Bryant like focus, a disposition to float in and out of games and a tendency to be as selfless on the court as he is in real life. And so I was talking to Lamar about this and he said there were a few things that were holding me back. And we know without digging too deep into it in this format, just about like the loss of a child, about the loss of so many family members, about the pressure that he felt coming out of his community uh, in New York. And there's just all of this baggage that Lamar had to deal with. And so when he played basketball, though, he found a certain amount of joy, but he didn't want to be the guy. He didn't want to be the focus that everybody needed to depend on that he had to try to hold up for a certain amount of his family and his personal life. 
And so to try and encircle this back to slotting in a sense, that's what Darius just said. Like he, he didn't even just want to be like the number two. He wanted to be part of a team. He wanted to fill in gaps. Now, did he also want to start? Yes. But when Phil Jackson approached him, you know, he is not the kind of guy that's even at, like he's going to take on what it is for the team, even if it's not what's best for him, because that's just the kind of guy that he was. And that's how he played. Mm-hmm. And in those seasons, so he played, let's see, in 08, 09, he basically rarely missed a game. In 08, 09, he played 78. In 9, 10, he played 82. In 10, 11, he played 82. So two straight perfect attendance seasons after one in which he missed four games. And and that dependability and, and Phil Jackson's being able to utilize him and however he wanted to, bring the ball up, make a play, uh, switch down onto a center, pull out to the perimeter. It, it was a... Uh, such an unsung hero. It, it not at the time. I do think he got a lot of shine today, but now because it's hard to remember that third guy uh, in a sense. Let's go to break here because I do want to continue to talk about Lamar some, and then bring it back to Pete's point about his partnership with Pal that really made the Lakers supercharged. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah, Mike, everything that you said about Lamar Odom is what made me love him as both a player and as a person. Um, we've had a lot of conversations offline, Pete and I especially, but but you as well, Mike, with the text thread about like players we like and players we don't like and like the characteristics of players that fall on either side that like either prop a player up for us or drop a player down. And I should have said this first, Aries, probably my favorite. Like if just, just like of all of the players and I, and I'm not the only one there, right. There are like very close, including Kobe, including Powell, including some guys like Josh Powell, but Lamar, like maybe at the top of that list for, for me and for a lot. Of I people. would imagine I could understand why. And the skill set that Pete mentioned and that like point guardy style. And this is why, like when Lamar went to the heat, and the Heat basically told him, like, yeah, I know what you did with the Clippers. I know you handled the ball a lot. I know you were basically like the point forward, like the Scotty Pippen, Magic Johnson, like you were in that mold. You're going to be this now. You're going to be a power forward. You're going to like, we're going to utilize your length and ball handling out on the perimeter to stretch out defenses, but you're going to score inside and like, we're going to post you up some and we're going to create mismatches for you. And Odom had really 
found his stride there. And I would argue, while it was great to come back, quote unquote, home, because he played for the Clippers for so many years, to come back to LA, I would imagine it was probably bittersweet for him after finding that sort of role that he did with the Heat and really starting to come into his own with his own game. But I think that got recaptured, Pete, when he got to play for Phil Jackson and got to play in the style of offense that was going to allow him to be all of the all of the things that he was capable of being on any given possession in any given game over the course of a season. And I think that the trade for Powell is what unlocked him even more because it put Lamar into a position where he was, the triangle basically is a four out system, right? Like they call it the triple post, but the the spacing is so often where the weak side forward could space, he, he could be in the weak side dunker spot, right? But he could also space all of the way to, to the corner. And Lamar ended up being a strong side ball handler very often in order to create weak side actions that would lead to Kobe isolations in the mid post on the backside. And that was the way that the Lakers set up their triangle offense and that ball handling ability and the ability to play on the strong side was super important to the Lakers offense and to have a big who could do that, that then put the teams, the, opponent's defense into awkward positions where they're like other power forward is now out on the perimeter on the strong side of the court where normally you want your power forward on the weak side as a helper like where LeBron has thrived so often recently and so that juxtaposition that the Lakers would put opposing defenses in where it's just like well it's not supposed to be like this but it had to be like that because of Lamar I think that was so key to unlocking what those teams were and how they were successful and why they so often closed with that group. When you bring Powell into the equation alongside Lamar and then Kobe's skills, I just think of how complimentary they were. And that was one of the reasons why we saw those closing lineups and it worked both ways. That strong side action that you were talking about, D, the ability for Lamar to handle the ball and create something off of the dribble, that also allowed Kobe within the triangle offense to operate off of the ball and establish post position in ways where he didn't need to have the ball in his hands to start the possession in order to get a good possession. And then now we, you know, I talk so much about like ex- advantage extension. I think about when Kobe did have the ball and he was always drawing two. And this was something that Powell's addition gave us enough ball handling and passing to really exploit. Okay, you want to double Kobe Bryant? Great. We're going to hit Powell on the short roll and you're going to have Lamar ducking in from that weak side corner. How many times? That was like the pet play. I, those high lows between Lamar and and Powell with Kobe getting trapped. It was a very much a pick your poison type of scenario where you had that connector right in the middle, Mike, that could help facilitate all of it. And so that's part of why I think of them as the trio, as Kobe drawing all of the attention and then Powell and and Lamar having the skills to take advantage of that. And even back to the earlier conversation about how teams in some ways were still catching up and we didn't, we kind of saw what was happening, even to the extent that the 90s Bulls did some of it with Kukoc, like when they would go, quote unquote, smaller, um, while we weren't calling it smaller, but Powell could space out he could pull out whether by coming up and setting a screen or popping or just by being outside in the action. 
and just clear the space for Kobe, who, like, I think we think about Kobe and we think about the turnaround jump shots and the daggers. What I was struck by watching him in person every night was still how hard he went to the hole so often when they Mm -hmm. needed a bucket. And I just think, so not necessarily like the dunks, right, that we see in the highlight reels, but where they would have enough spacing and, and, and Powell would facilitate a lot of this, sometimes with the screen, sometimes with just by being outside. And Kobe would just go downhill and he was an incredible finisher. It all he had all of it, Pete. He had he had, you know, right hand high off the glass. He had finger roll right in. He had left hand up and under. He had little hook shots. He had little push shots, like shots that you never heard before that he might not have touched uh, or that he might not have even um, shown, but he had been working on in the lab. So that function of just getting your best bigger wing into the paint and letting that guy either draw a foul or finish, like that's a, a part of basketball. Um, that that I just think is sometimes lost in the in the highlight generation of it. Well, all of that spacing, Mike, that you talk about, this is where Pete, the point that you bring up a lot about continuity and why it matters and coaching, Phil and Kobe and Fisher, they had all of that continuity. And then Lamar, and this was before the Pell trade, and remember the Lakers drafted Bynum, like all of these guys had played in some way, shape, or form, whether it's and practiced together for a long time before the POW trade. And they understood the nuances of what was asked of them and what the needs were within the construct of the offense. And so there were little plays where, Mike, the spacing wasn't the same in that POW wasn't spacing to the three-point line, but he would lift to the elbow or the elbow extended oftentimes and they would run they would start triangle actions a little bit higher out in order to create the spacing on the weak side where it was two players on the back side in order to play and pete you mentioned that high low action that they would run out of screen and roll plays and they would do that a lot too with pow and bynum where Powell was setting the screen and then he would play in the short roll and then it was bynum catching the lob and like the Lob City stuff that came up with the Clippers later where it was Blake Griffin throwing that lob to DeAndre Jordan. Well, yeah, the, the Lakers had been doing that, right? Like it was the same sort sort of stuff. But one of the actions that I love the most that I think epitomizes this idea of front court strength and versatility with your four and your five is when the strong side of the triangle was actually something like Ron in the corner, Kobe in the post and Fisher on the wing. And then it's Powell and Lamar on the weak side with like Powell in the opposite dunker spot and Lamar spacing to the opposite side where he is the reverse outlet, right? The guy who would flash to the middle on, on, on some of those ball reversals if they were going to run like blind pig action. Yep. One of the plays that I used to love the most was when the ball would skip across and now it's Lamar in two-man game options with Gasol posting and Gasol lifting to set that that screen and roll and they would run this sort of like dummy pick and roll action between the four and the five in order to get a switch because that's that's almost an automatic switch when your center and power forward are screening for each other it's almost always a switch but you created some of the best mismatches that you could get when you put the center who was supposed to be guarding Powell, who a lot of times was a bigger dude who was in there to try to beat him up because, you know, Powell got soft and and all of that stuff. Right. Right. And then you put that sort of brooding guy on Lamar 
who could then isolate him. And then you put the sort of like, oh, well, Lamar is the spacing forward. He used to be a three. We could put a smaller dude on him. Now, suddenly that guy is guarding Pow in the post. And the beauty of the mismatches that they would create on backside actions when it was this two-man game between your power forward and, and your center, those were some of my favorite plays because it just showed that the Lakers were playing with the type of versatility that a lot of other teams just simply couldn't match with any of their base personnel, which was the type of lineups that they were often closing with against those teams. Yeah, there weren't a lot of teams that had a that I mean there were there weren't any teams that had that level of skill at the four and five positions because when you were describing that action between on the weak side between Lamar and Powell and that it would force a switch well that's great that big guy that's in there to bang with Powell all of a sudden has to guard Lamar in open space and Lamar's guard like he was that was his style of game okay well maybe that's not available you've got Powell Gasol in the post against the, a four. And remember what Powell used to do in the post. He he could use either hand, though jump hooks over and great ball fakes and footwork and all of it. And so if you're putting that, that four on Powell, we throw the ball down into the post and they're able to operate there. But I do want to give a shout out to Andrew yeah. Bynum within the context of this, because the soft stuff and all <laughs> of that the was, was nonsense. But the Lakers... We're skilled. That is where they had the advantage over the other team is that front court was more skilled. But where there were nights where they didn't have it, the 08 finals were an example of this because Bynum was out, was against really physical teams that like to muck it up against a mic. And that was, I thought, Bynum's emergence. Obviously, he got hurt in 08, and then we traded for Powell, losing the finals. But Bynum's ability to be like, to be the the rock, maybe not the guy that would close, but the guy that could beat you up a bit. He was a, one of those players that injuries ended his career earlier than it should have, but he was a very impressive figure for a short period of time. So I just wanted to give him a, a shout yeah. out. Well, I think Bynum also, he was a good, his nature, right, was more individual in a sense and more forceful in a sense, like that's kind of how he was. And that fit into the type of team that Kobe was trying to draw out of everybody else. And that's mm-hmm. too simplistic mm-hmm. because Trevor Ariza certainly had that dog in him. Uh, the next year, of course, Ron Artest did. But it's kind of like when we look back on those teams, right? And we're talking about how great they were. Well, they they let other teams hang around a lot in playoff series, you know, <laughs> and even uh-huh. in games sometimes. And, and I think that is part of what all of the great things I said about Lamar and some of the initial, some of the Gasoff stuff, which again, I agree was total nonsense. And I think he, he certainly cleared his name of any of those charges um, by how he played subsequently. But we can't ignore Kobe really did have to like, drag that team around. He, it was his personality, and especially with Powell and especially with Lamar, who incredible skill. But every night, were they bringing it to the level that Kobe was? No. And that included in some playoff games. So I thought, and I think Bynum complimented that some where, hey, we're going to start with a hammer. This guy's going to the rim. He's going to dunk on you hard. And then we're going to get to our better lineups as the game gets on, as these guys get more engaged. And guess what? We're still kind of like when you go, quote unquote, small with AD at the five, like Powell, who can play on the perimeter, drill jumpers, toss passes, handle around you. All of a sudden, his, his hand almost feels like it's at the rim when he's at the free throw line can do all that, and then he can get back and still protect the rim. And Lamar Odom, who, by the way, averaged over a block and a steal 
um, that first year, like mm-hmm. was getting his hands on balls, was rotating down. And then Kobe could so So it was, it was a lot that they threw at you, but I just wanted to, I didn't want to take Pete away this, the impact of buying him there. I just wanted to file it into the Kobe cabinet still. And when, when we, when we forget or anybody forgets about Kobe's greatness, this, all of that has to be uh, played a part of it. Like that has to be mentioned that he was still by far the driving force of that team, including with, I mean, we could wax poetic about Kobe and everything that he did and sort of the second stage of his career where the leadership and his coming into his own as a leader really took hold. And I think that the beauty of Kobe's career is I think that he had the exact right teammates around him to bring out what needed to be brought out in him in both positive and negative ways for his growth over the course of a 20 year NBA career, right? Like whether it was coming on to a truly veteran team that sort of saw him as less than simply because he was like this 17 year old, 18 year old kid and that playing into the fire of a Kobe Bryant and, and, and how that, how he had to grow up fast. And he was really the oldest 21 year old ever because he's out there winning NBA finals games as a 21 year old. And like, we, we look at this. And so like, just put to put this into perspective, like, we talk about Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown and like their run this past season, right? Where they, they led a team to the NBA finals and they came up short. And it's just like, oh, well, like, Mike, we were talking about this in the should they trade for Kevin Durant pod that we had last week or uh, the week before. And that idea of like, they could have a 10 year window, right? Well, okay. They're, 23 24 25 years old like let's not overplay that kobe bryant he was giving you a 10 12 year window when he is literally 20 21 right and winning an nba finals and hitting massive shots in order to claim championships and then later on the right sort of players around him that i think allowed him to galvanize his leadership style that i think really did work with Powell and Lamar and how Lamar and Powell's leadership and Fisher's leadership were counter to Kobe's, right? Like the velvet glove versus like the iron hand, right? And and all of that coming together in order to build the type of team culture that they needed to have in order to win. And Mike, one of the reasons why I think Lamar probably was everyone's favorite and probably one of everyone's favorite teammate as well was because he was the guy who was like bringing guys together on the road and like, let's go out to dinner and like, we're going to do all of that stuff. So I just wanted to bring that part of it back to Lamar a little bit too, because it all intermingled in a way that I think brought out the best in all of them. So to speak to your point, Back during those years, I would get tickets right behind the bench once a year to a game. And it was literally the row right behind the Lakers bench. And it was great, man. And one of the times that I went, the person who was with me, she had never been to a basketball game before. And when Kobe walked out, she was like, oh, he reminds me of a great white shark, which has always been my favorite description of Kobe's just kind of aura. Like if you've ever seen a great white, you know, you see a great white kind of swim by it. It just, there's something very, I don't know, you pick up on it. And, And Kobe had that. And that's to say Kobe was a lot just as a, that intensity, that maniacal drive and that leadership, that style over the course of 82, over multiple years, Mike, 
that's that has its own weight to it. And I one of the strongest impressions I got from being that up close and seeing kind of the dynamics that I would only see from watching on TV at home was I thought Lamar was the most popular guy on the team. That was something I always thought from going to those games. Something would happen and it'd be a dead ball and he'd say something to the ref and then like half the bench would crack up. Like I wasn't close enough to quite hear it, but it was always these types of things where Lamar would look over at somebody. And as soon as Lamar looked at them, Mike, like you could see their face light up a bit because they they just loved Lamar. And I think that his personality and Powell's as well and that willingness to be led, but also be leaders themselves. I thought that the hierarchy of the Lakers' leadership really complimented. That's one of the things from watching them on the court, but thinking back on them off of the court, just they complimented each other so well. There's no question about that, Pete. The stuff with Lamar and his personality, if you're a keen observer, um, as you were, and as it sounds like your friend was, uh, upon that one that one chance of just seeing Kobe and sort of the eyes and the uh, the sweat and just the predatory nature of, with which he walked out of the tunnel, um, which was both true and intentional. Um, that's that, those are keen <laughs> observations. You know, I, I, I like that. And then with Lamar, though, this was not something that he had to think about. You know, this is that's just who he was as a person. And those are, I think, are the, the best type of connectors. So. Another way, another way to put this is I think sometimes if you're a veteran player and you look at your roster, you can think, okay, I need to lead this a certain way, or I need to, I need to follow a certain way, or I need to do something that fits. And it's harder to put that together when you're trying to put somebody into a role. Whereas Lamar just showed up in the locker room, and whether it was with the media, with his friends or family, or with a teammate or the coaching staff, that's just sort of what his personality was. And I think part of what that was. For as intense as Kobe was and had to be during that run, Lamar was he, – he's it's impossible not to like Lamar. And the way that that impacted Kobe fit as well because Lamar would do some things once in a while in a game or like in a practice, <laughs> right, where you kind of – dude, again. But since you loved him and since Kobe did, like even Kobe couldn't get mad at him. And it was important to have somebody like that out there. And then Powell bringing all of the kind of intellectual heft that he brought uh, with like on top of all that with the basketball skill and knowledge, but not having to be to be that good, but not needing to be the guy and not needing to be the man, but still but still wanting a little bit more of that than you might have thought. You know, that was important, too, because he then was his drive when Kobe would would challenge him. It would work because he did have more of that moxie. Uh, and more of that desire to be thought of as great than you might have thought because of how uh, eloquent he was sometimes or because of how of how he could he could speak about the game in a way that made it seem like he was always thinking about his teammates. You know, like he was a dog, too, in certain ways, but it, but he needed a bigger dog. It's just there's just a lot, man. There's a lot there with the personalities. Mike, there's often a lot of conflating that happens when we think about the players as people. Right. And this idea of like, oh, well, he's cultured, so he can't be tough. Right. Like he speaks well, so he must be soft. Right. Like and all of these conceptions that we have of, of people, all of these projections that we put on to them and a lot of times that stuff is just bullshit just none of it's true right like these dudes are competing at the highest level and that was one of the things that i always appreciated about pow is that he was out there 
to slit your throat. Like so many nights, that's just what he wanted to do. He wanted to win so and badly. At least four out of seven yes. games. <laughs> he was definitely, well, definitely doing that. He was great well, in game I'm just sevens. saying too that it's just like there, there was – and this goes back to the idea about slotting though. It's because Kobe was – he was at the top of the pyramid. He was the sort of all-seeing eye. He was the guy. The import of that, and I think as the Lakers, this is a point that – it's just like we reflect upon a lot because of like the idea about stars and like the star hunting. Well, one of the reasons why the Lakers are always searching out that next star is because when you have one of those types of stars, the Magic Johnson, the Kobe Bryant, the Shaquille O'Neal, right? The LeBron James, those guys allow you to then slot other star level players or other players just in general back into positions where they can then align themselves in the exact way they need to be aligned in order to win at the highest level. And that is the history of the league. And so Pete, it thrills me to hear you talk about and mention the idea of like Lakers 75, because that is the history of this organization. It is full of those dudes from Mike all the way to LeBron now. And everyone in between, from Baylor to West to Magic to Kareem, yep. and all the way through, it is filled with those North Star players who set the tone for yep. your organization. And Kobe did that for those teams. But in order to win at the highest level, you need a Lamar Odom. You need a Pau Gasol. You need those brilliant number twos, those connective number threes, those guys who shape and align the rest of the guys even beneath them and allow you to all row in the same direction to accomplish greatness, which is what this organization has been about over the course of their entire history. And and it's one of the reasons why we love them as, as fans and as outside observers and for you guys, you know, a couple of employees, right? It's, it's like, that's what it is. Hey, man, there are a lot of ways to spend a work day than watching <laughs> 2009 sure. Lakers footage. You know, man, it's a it's a real blessing. Uh, you brought up Mike in. Uh, we've got uh, an illustration debuting today. Uh, we're debuting the classic jerseys, right? And it's from our guy Jack Perkins at Pure Hoop. And so if you like it, do me a favor, gas it up on social media. We're trying to get Jack to do some more stuff. Uh, and I would love... Uh, just you to show really one of the more talented people in the whole NBA sphere some some love. So uh, really excited to have Jack on board. And then lastly, happy 95th birthday to coach Bill Burtka, one of the great blessings. Preach. We should do a pod on Burtka. Uh, let's have that coming up. Uh, went a little long. Thanks for, for hanging in with us. We will be back probably on Wednesday. But until then, you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. Baines has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tips to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's in. The Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. Van Exel to win it. It's on the way. Good. Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. Back with his eighth block shot that an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. 
Bryant spinning in the lane, back for Gasol, pretty pass, and it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant, picked up by Bell. There's the move, two, one, listen! It's over. Shot clock out of five. Bryant, yes! And that was a little tough to Alvin Gentry. That insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters. The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.